You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Telegram recovers from a distributed denial of service attack. Operation Fishwrap, conducted by Parties Unknown, is an influence campaign that substitutes olds for news. Aircraft component manufacturer ASCO's production is hit by ransomware. Hacking back is back in Congress. We wonder why people don't patch. And a tip on fact-checking. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, June 13, 2019. Telegram has stabilized its service after sustaining a very large distributed denial of service attack, Reuters reports. The DDoS attack traffic originated largely from Chinese IP addresses, and circumstantial evidence points to Chinese government's attempts to disrupt the use of the secure messaging service by protesters in Hong Kong. According to Bloomberg, controversial legislation that would facilitate extraditions to China proper from the semi-autonomous city has prompted very widespread street protests in Hong Kong. Recorded Future describes an influence campaign they're calling Fishwrap. Fishwrap repackages genuine but old news as fresh breaking news. It's therefore not really fake but rather misleading. The stories themselves don't appear to be altered and even retain their original dates. But a flurry of tweets distributing a story from, say, 2016 gives the old news current impact. It's very easy to overlook a dateline in a news feed. You expect something that's breaking to be current. We note that YouTube's algorithms seem to have inadvertently engaged in a juxtaposition of news that bears at least a family resemblance to Fishwrap, You will recall that the algorithmically delivered context YouTube provided to video of the Notre Dame fire in Paris included links to material about the 9-11 attacks in New York. Fishwrap makes such mistakes on purpose. They're intentional tactics. And Fishwrap generally doesn't violate platforms' terms of service either, even so far as those terms of service do seek to draw lines between truth and falsehood. So far, there's no attribution, but the effort that went into the campaign and its concentration on politically and socially divisive clickbait seems to represent a nation-state's systematic adoption of a relatively obvious but hitherto unusual tactic. A ransomware infestation at one of its Belgian facilities has disrupted production at aircraft parts manufacturer ASCO. 
About a thousand workers have been furloughed indefinitely as plants in Belgium, Germany, Canada, and the U.S. are temporarily closed. The facility known to be affected is the one located in Zaventem, Belgium. The other production centers may have been closed as a precaution in an attempt to isolate the infection. ASCO is based in Belgium but has been owned since last year by the U.S. company Spirit Aerosystems. It's an important supplier of components to both commercial and military aircraft companies. Boeing, Lockheed Martin, and Airbus are all customers. The ransomware was detected last Friday, June 7th, and ASCO has been releasing information about it slowly and carefully. It has said that it's notified appropriate law enforcement authorities and that it's brought in security companies to help with forensics and recovery. The company's sparse public communications contrast with very quick and forthcoming public communication of Norsk Hydro when it recently sustained a similar attack. Representatives Tom Graves, a Republican of Georgia, and Josh Gottheimer, a Democrat of New Jersey, are reintroducing a hack-back bill to the U.S. Congress with bipartisan support. They're calling it the Active Cyber Defense Certainty Act. Intelligence and law enforcement agencies remain cool to the idea, being concerned about the notorious difficulty of attribution. Some in the security industry are also skittish about the concept of cyber-active defense, as the proposed bill calls it, fearing that such laws would tend to induce a crossfire in cyberspace whose effects would be hard to predict and difficult to control. Representative Graves told CyberScoop that the bill's language resonates with recent remarks by U.S. National Security Advisor Bolton, who earlier this week talked about U.S. intentions of finding greater scope for retaliatory action in cyberspace. That may be a reach, since arguably Mr. Bolton was talking about an inherently governmental responsibility, but in fairness, the Active Cyber Defense Certainty Act doesn't seem to create the Wild West. The FBI would be the ones issuing the letters of mark and reprisal here. Quote, A defender who uses an active cyber defense measure must notify the FBI National Cyber Investigative Joint Task Force and receive a response from the FBI acknowledging receipt of the notification prior to using the measure. End quote. Presumably, acknowledgement of receipt means go ahead and open fire. As we say, the proposed measure isn't the utterly reckless hack-back-and-go-get-em system bandied about a few years ago, but Congress will no doubt want to take a close look at this one. Last month, security pros gathered in Miami to attend the Infiltrate Conference, which focuses on offense-oriented security issues. Dave Itell is Chief Security Technology Officer for Six Terra and one of the organizers of the Infiltrate Conference. We felt there was a big gap where every time you went to a talk, they would have to tell you about the interesting stuff, and then they would apologize for telling you about the interesting stuff and sort of like pretend as if they didn't want to do offensive work. We sort of took that on ourselves. We're going to make a high-end conference full of people who understand what exploits are, so it's not for beginners necessarily, all about the hardcore technical stuff and not about all the marketing nonsense that's going along with most of the other big conferences. So right. we do a few things very differently. One, every talk gets peer-reviewed before it goes on stage. You have a team of technical experts watch every talk and make suggestions. And sometimes the suggestions are very simple, like, please make your fonts so that people can read them. And then some of them are deep technical sort of concerns with the project or ideas that perhaps the author hadn't thought of. 
I want to explore something that you mentioned there, which is this notion of people apologizing for the good stuff. Is there? It seems to me like there's a subtext there, like uh, the offensive stuff is considered to be the good stuff, but is there a social uh, taboo about talking about it? There is. There's a huge social taboo for pointing out what we all know, which is that offense is super fun and defense is super boring. Everyone sort of does this kowtow towards the defensive side at most conferences, and we just rip all that away so that we can get on with the business of the interesting technical content at Infiltrate. Well, give me some of the, the, the sort of the background here for folks who might not be familiar with exactly what's involved on the offensive side. What's the scope and the range of what we're talking about here? It could be anything from how to properly automatically attack an Active Directory network, which is something Microsoft Research presented on in 2015, and which there was a lot of focus on, and a tool came out of that research called Bloodhound eventually. And then that, of course, technique is what WannaCry and all the, not Petya and all the other worms have been using to sort of rampage around everyone's networks for the past two years. In a sense, it's about getting ahead. What is on the horizon? What are some of the things that folks might have presented on that you think are worth mentioning? We had a lot of phone exploit talks this year. We had a number of talks that sort of looked at how ARM is doing their authenticated pointers and bypassed that sort of defensive mechanism. So it's always a question when a new mitigation comes out, is it going to be able to be easily bypassed or is it going to be very difficult to bypass? And I think we've come to the grips of some of these things being useful in certain circumstances like remote attacks, but not useful against local attacks on the phones themselves. The telephony attacks were some of my favorite talks, but we also had talks about the past. In, and I think it was interesting to note that the very first talk was a 20-year-old Solaris local exploit finally being released, which hmm. I thought was really interesting. Swinging back again to the sort of social taboo, do you see things shifting? Are, are people waking up to uh, a different reality with this? I mean, I hesitate to say that people are waking up because if you look at the major companies, they all have a big offensive team. Microsoft, Google, Amazon, Apple, you name it. They have a giant team of offensive researchers and they compete very carefully for talent in that space. And that's one of the things, obviously, that happens at Infiltrate. The taboo, although it is clearly very evident at most conferences is something that I don't necessarily think is holding any of these companies back from investing in space. I mean, our sponsors include every big name company you can find. That's Dave Itell from Sixterra and the Infiltrate Conference. Why do enterprises fail to patch known high consequence vulnerabilities like Bluekeep? Avast calls it update inertia. It's all in your heads, IT. Or to be more precise, it's there in your limbic system, says Avast. The problem with patching is that people tend to regard it as a high-labor, low-payoff nuisance, awakening with a sense of urgency only when they realize that, oh, wait, all my data are belong to someone else. So work to overcome those tendencies. Don't make the lizard brain your personal CISO. Finally, returning to how algorithms can steer us through falsehood and into truth, I had an interesting experience the other day. I sometimes need to check pronunciations, and YouTube can be a useful place to do this. I was seized by a concern that I'd mispronounced TA-505. I didn't think so, but it was bothering me, so I checked. A quick search on YouTube brought up a video that was... me, pronouncing TA-505 on a previous episode of The Cyberwire. 
So I'm glad I got that one cleared up. Here's a fact-checking tip for you all. You want to know if that newspaper story is true? Go buy another copy of the newspaper to double-check it. And I can't help wondering if I worked hard on my amazing Australian accent, could I become the standard in New South Wales? Look at that, mate, from the Cyberwire. Awful. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's a senior law and policy analyst at the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security. Ben, it's always great to have you back. Uh, we had a story come by. This is from the website called Muckrock. Uh, and it's an interesting one about uh, the NYPD uh, claiming that they have no records on the Millions March cell phone surveillance. There's a lot to unpack here. H- help us understand what's going on here. Back in 2014, there was a large, uh, peaceful protest in New York City on the Eric Garner incident. There was a protest called the Millions March in New York City, attracted 25,000 people. At least allegedly, the New York Police Department used surveillance tools to try and track members of these protest groups. The reason suspicions were raised is because protesters, and particularly the leaders of the protest, were getting suspicious messages on their devices. The devices were shutting off at random. There were messages indicating interference. Uh, So there were some suspicions raised. Uh, Members of this march, in coordination with the ACLU, tried to use New York's equivalent of the Freedom of Information Act, which in New York is called the Freedom of Information Law, to find out what sort of surveillance techniques, if any, were being used by the police department. First, the New York Police Department used what's called a Glomar denial, which is basically the I'm not going to confirm nor deny your suspicions. I'm hmm. simply not going to give you any information. Um, a court- and they're allowed to do that? 
They are, they are allowed to do that until a <laughs> okay. court steps in, and that's what I happened see. here. I see. Uh, a court stepped in and uh, basically said they had to comply with this freedom of information request, and now the New York Police Department is simply saying, we do not have those records. We do not have information. This is at an absolute impasse now. I'm sure members of the Millions March are going to appeal. It's certainly a major civil liberties concern. If the New York Police Department was using surveillance techniques like stingray devices, where law enforcement is able to trick cell phones into identifying their location by posing as cell site towers, then that gives the users of the cell phone certain legal rights under the Fourth Amendment. In order to know whether those statutes have been violated or these constitutional principles have been violated, we need access to that information. So it's certainly disturbing that the police department doesn't have access of these records. The one good thing is that from a civil libertarian's perspective, is that the court ruled against this, what they call the Glomar invocation, this invocation that we're not going to confirm or deny the existence of these surveillance tools. The court was very clear that that was not acceptable in this case. And as a result, that set a precedent for future cases within the New York court system. So assuming that in the future, records are actually retained as it relates to these surveillance services, at the very least, um, cell phone users and, and members of future marches and the like will have this uh, legal opinion as binding precedents. To be clear here, coming from the NYPD's point of view, I mean, they are under legal obligation to tell the truth here, right? They, they can't just say, oh, no, we don't have those records. If they have a box of records sitting behind them and saying, what records? If they had the records legally, they would have to say so. They absolutely would, especially since it's now mandated as part of a court order. I'm certainly not in any way suggesting that they are breaking the law by lying about whether they've retained these records, but it's also po uh, possible that they have been breaking records retention laws. If there were evidence that these records were destroyed prior to this court decision, there could be legal consequences for the department. As far as I can see, and maybe you have a different read of this, I haven't seen any evidence of that. So if it was a good faith mistake... And they intended to keep the records, but for whatever reason, the records were not retained, then they're not going to be exposed to legal liability. So where do we suspect this goes from here? As far as we know at the moment, uh, the highest court to weigh in on this is the New York Supreme Court, which in New York is actually not the highest court in the land. But we are really going to be at an impasse if it's true the New York Police Department didn't actually retain these records. You know, in the one sense, that's a very dissatisfying answer for uh, the members of this protest. Rightly are suspicious of whether their communications were intercepted or whether their location was tracked while they were exercising their First Amendment rights. But on the plus side, we now have this precedent decision saying that the New York Police Department can't issue this Glomar denial if there are allegations that they have been using surveillance techniques in the future, according to this precedent, um, in similar cases, the police department is going to have to either confirm or deny uh, whether they were using this surveillance technology. Sometimes groups like the ACLU, the best they can do is, is solicit an admission that these surveillance techniques are being used, even if they aren't able to get uh, additional information, sometimes simply publicizing the fact that uh, Stingray devices are being used or other uh, intercepting technology is being used can be the purpose of some of these lawsuits, just to get it out there in the public mind that people who are protesting might uh, be insecure in their electronic devices. 
All right. Well, Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Oh,